Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Thanks for joining us for another week of Take Two. Greg Hughes is here. Mara Carabello is back with us. Thanks You're so much back. for being here. Thank you. This will be fun. And this has been a crazy week. By Monday, I was already, ooh, podcast <laughs> time because there's so much to talk about. There we is. want to talk about the Utah driver's license being scanned by the feds, inland port protesters. Holy cow, that was a big issue. Uh, Trump says that he's going to drop his census fight. We've got teleworking, Kamala Harris not coming to the state, ICE raids, and another person who's running for Congress here in Utah. So let's get right to it. Uh, the Utah driver's licenses were a big deal over the weekend. Uh, there were some national reports coming out that three states had given information to the feds that they could start scanning licenses. It's hard to believe, I guess it's tough to know who to believe right now, but DPS is saying that it's only on very rare occasions that they give certain names out, they scan them, and like 10% of the time it returns something. Mara, are you okay with this? You obviously have a police background in your home. Is this something that police need sometimes to go through and scan driver's licenses? I'm sure it's something the law enforcement needs. Um, I, th I, I will distinguish local law enforcement from ICE officials and what their goals are and how states should be working with the federal government on it. I will say, I want to start with one thing that I want to put out as a myth buster. And one of the reasons I, 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 I'm concerned about the ICE discussion is that it perpetuates this notion that undocumented citizens or undocumented people commit crimes at a higher rate. And actually, study after study shows that they actually commit crimes at a lower rate. And so I just, I first want to start because I get these and I think it perpetuates this, this perception. The other thing that's interesting I would want to know is, of the records pulled, are we talking about Hispanic people? We often use the euphemism of immigration for, for the conversation we're having in America about brown people because, you know, for Trump's favorite, I don't know that they're pulling the, the Danish grad student at the University of Utah. So I would be curious about the racial profiling of this. And then finally, sort of my take has been said before, Senator Bramble, who sponsored the bill, brought this up. But I'm really concerned about the public trust this brings. And uh, there, there was some discretion between what the Department of Public Safety was saying and the reports going on in, you know, the Washington Post. And, and I trust our Department of Safety. I, I, mean, I want to say that straight up. Yeah. But I don't know if, they, um, if we have in place uh, the will of, of the people. And I would look to the legislature this year and say, hey, could you reassert some intent there so that sure. we can keep the public trust? Yeah, it's definitely an issue. And I think the Washington Post, it's tough to say, but they made it sound a lot more broad, like they were scanning yeah. on a daily basis and going through all of our pictures just to see who's there and maybe if we'd been someplace or somewhere. DPS saying that it was a, a much more controlled situation and definitely on specific issues. Is this okay at all? Or should we not be using this facial recognition to be uh, mining people for whatever it is they're looking for? I, you know, it's funny. I think this issue comes up almost every podcast. It's now. been we, often. We grapple with technology yeah. Yeah. and with uh, our freedoms and our, and our privacy. And this is yet another example. Um, you asked the question, I remember last week, when someone goes missing, how much by way of technology, should we be looking for someone that's gone yeah, missing that's right. uh, to find them because time might be of the essence or 
maybe someone doesn't want to be found and how do we leave that, that person alone? We're grappling with those things. I think one, one issue, I think the Department of Public Safety did say that this, these are narrow circumstances. I have got to imagine when they say narrow, we're talking, I would imagine, the criminality. Okay, if you have, we know we have cartels, unfortunately, uh, drug cartels that have found their way to Salt Lake City. We know that in a couple years ago there was even this fight for market share that was going on. Uh, if that is the, the vein in which this is being done, if it is uh, drug trafficking, if it is some of the most heinous crimes that are, we're feeling, let's look, facial recognition, we're opening our phones with what our faces look like. We're, we're, um, I, I, we, don't, we, can't, we don't have a right of privacy about the look of our face. When we walk out of the door, our face is seen everywhere. I, I just, it's, it's getting harder to draw bright lines. I would just hope that when the Department of Public Safety says that these are narrow situations and they are revolving around or they are, are part of a crime that they're investigating, that that's the case. And I do, Mara, agree that the legislature should put some context to that. There ought to be, we ought to have some What some kind of context are we talking? I think you need to have, you need to define the circumstances in which that would be the case, when you would use uh, the facial recognition in, in the if there was a crime occurring, if there was something going on that you wanted to get to the heart. Or let's say if, you, if someone was seen with someone that's been missing, wouldn't we want uh, to try and locate or identify who that missed that person was with someone who's now missing? If we could, I, I think that debate has to be had. But I, I think as that technology grows, we have to look at it. For, so so racial, uh, facial recognition it, technology is not infallible. And you're already, by definition, profiling. Yeah, and you just are. That's that's how you're. That's how you're using the technology, and so I think you can't ignore the public trust dimension of it. If these records, and we're having, as you said, Greg, we're having this discussion about technology and privacy yes. every day. Yep. This is another iteration of that. But how I, I have an expectation of when I have my ID card, what and how that that social contract I have with Utah. And, and I think that people with alternative IDs have to also have that assurance. I am sympathetic to the attorney who's recommending to their Latino client that they no longer get that because they don't feel like the public trust is there with the institutions that are issuing these. So I think you can't avoid or um, I think it would be a miss on the legislature's part to not look at these communities but and say, me, how do we address but their But let me ask you well. a question. Um, specific to racial profiling, I understand, or to immigration. But more broadly, if we had someone that was missing, and you had, because if you walk into a Target, if you walk into some store, there are Video cameras, there yeah, are sure. images, yeah. um, and you saw someone who we who is missing, right. and you saw an image of a person that they were with, are we are we okay with that that face, not? To racial profiling or any, or immigration, Going back into but ID systems to look and doing at searches. to try and locate the yeah the identity of the person so they're walking with who's missing. I don't have the I don't have an easy answer for that, but that is worth. I'm asking. I'm going to bring up a challenge and not an answer. Yeah. I'm going to pretend to answer. Yeah. I mean, one of the challenges with that is I hear when people say, "Well, we only go go after criminals." Well, by definition, you haven't decided they're criminals yet. You're, no, you're seeking Nobody's been convicted that. Yet. No, no one's been convicting. So at, at one point, you are still searching, if you will generic people. The other just little nugget in this story that I thought was interesting is very quite casually they also mentioned, hey wait, it's not just it's not just these alternative ideas. We also do that with the driver's license system. And I was like, oh. I thought you were going to tell me my Costco card they, they were scanning. That picture is hideous. With Costco. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I think, you know, uh, Ben Franklin, right, isn't he the who brought up liberty and safety? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yep. And yes. these discussions, this probably will be a theme throughout a couple of topics today, liberty versus safety. Yes, yeah. and, and we have to start, legislators have to start keeping up with this. There's no jurors, there's no settled law on this. And I do think we believe that technology is more infallible than it is. It's true. And we're signing away a lot of rights we don't think about. We keep hearing how Google or Alexa is listening to our conversations every day. We give our phone our fingerprint scan. It scans our face. And what are they doing with that information once we put it out there? So that is a whole can of worms. We'll talk more about it. Speaking of cans of worms, the inland port <laughs> protest, I hate to even call it the inland port protest because when I was looking at the signs and the issues and groups that were there, everyone who was angry about anything was there. I don't know if that's what they meant to have happen. It certainly got out of control. Greg, we'll start with you on this. Yeah. There's a lot going into this, how the police responded to it. Um, there were attacks on media. We had one of our actual photographers, someone shoving their camera, undoing the wires in the back, shoving them from the back of their head. I mean, it's just stuff you don't normally see, especially at protests in Utah. I feel like we have a more respectable, I, I guess we have a respect in our community that I think all of us look to. The governor even spoke out, and we can talk about whether we agree with what he said or not, but he said this was not just a protest, but borderline terrorism. That was the two words, borderline terrorism, that got some people upset. He said it was bullying, intimidation, and violence, and will not be tolerated. You saw the video. Everyone's seen it at this point. Yep. What was your first thought when you saw it? Uh, I, I'm highly frustrated by it. I don't think it has any resemblance to freedom of speech at all. I don't think that freedom of speech should allow you to attack anyone. Uh, I thought at least when it came to the media, so we had a we had a hearing uh, a month earlier where someone had blocked the way of a, yeah. a reporter, and that was, I think, uniformly decided was not appropriate. But I literally have seen tweets from members of the media who are saying uh, inflammatory things like "burn it all down." Or we're not going to help law enforcement identify the people that committed harm. People and in the media were saying yes, that? and and some of the people were attacked from some of these voices, very newsroom. And so my question is, if there was a person blocking the way of a of a, of a reporter, and there was this consensus that that was violence or that was uh, an attack of some sort, that it was inappropriate. But when you see what I would argue is real violence, I mean, not just blocking someone's way, but people being attacked, and yet we're, you're hearing a much different narrative from some members of the media. Is it just these things matter when it's the issue we care about matters? Are we using selective outrage, selective logic? It doesn't matter. I'm going to tell you right now, empathy and the golden rule apply all the time. Would you like to be treated how you're being, how, would you treat someone the way you're being treated right now? That protest is not dialogue. It is not seeking to understand the perspective of someone and having them understand your perspective. It's not that if you don't get your way, you weren't heard. You have to have public hearings. and you have, The more we see these, these processes weaponized, the more they become violent, the more there's a contention so that it stops a public process from going forward, Nobody wins. So, Nobody yeah. wins. So, Greg, what I want to sort of inject that yeah. I'm frustrated that I'm not hearing from any powerful people. How I'm not we, powerful, so I probably said it. Well, you know, <laughs> I included you. How, how did we get here? Why are they feeling this way? Why did they think? I'm, I'm not condoning. Yeah. So, first, I want to just set aside all the few protesters who were violent and in an inappropriate the few, very few police officers who were, can we just set them aside and say, no one thinks that's okay. No. But if we stay there, we don't get to have the other conversation. There were protesters there who weren't violent. Who had and issues. Who had an issue. And, and I don't think you get to set aside that 
people are feeling really frustrated about this process. And I think, I think right now the process is in some ways getting as good as it's giving. And, and you're seeing um, people not feel heard. Now, here's what happens in politics and political discussions that you know about. Yeah. That may not be true, but feelings and how people perceive things to be in the public domain do matter. So you can sit and you will tell me, and we have both engaged in hours and hours. I have engaged in hours of public discourse, only to then hear the person say, you've never even told me any of this. I, I, I agree. I agree you, that goes you on. You invited I me agree. on a panel at the I University did. of Utah. And we, and we dove in the Do you think the these protesters would did. come to a meeting? We've seen a couple of meetings where they've had masks and they refuse to talk or through tantrums left. Do you think that if we held the meeting in the right way, they'd actually speak up? say what their issues were and have a conversation or are they there to shut things down? So here's what I want to value. I want to value the issues they're bringing up. I believe that if you can't hold yourself in a decorum and, and have a productive mm -hmm. conversation, you don't need to be given a platform. In fact, if I were advising the leaders I at the totally time, concur. I believe that they shouldn't actually be giving. The fact that we're still talking about it probably means that some people in power maybe didn't handle this the right way because we shouldn't have given it legs. Yeah. I will say absolutely the concerns that are being raised are really legit and need to have a discourse and need we i do believe the inland port authority needs to do a better job of having people feel listened to i'm not suggesting they haven't tried i'm just saying you you have to go higher than that i expect more from our leaders than i i i don't think labels help i don't think the fact that uh our leaders are name calling in many ways. And I, I don't think, and I'm not, I'm not placing blame. One of the things I didn't hear from anybody, the protesters, everybody, is responsibility. This is an enormous opportunity. There are a lot of responsibility. And for some reason on this issue, we're really caught in the blame right now. And this week was not our best format, right? For no, anybody. I, you, if, when you've got people in a private building urinating on the floors, pooping their pants if they're getting arrested, yeah. spitting on cops, I can't believe I'm even saying these things right. out loud. Things are not going well. So how do we dial it back, Greg, and get to the issue? Because this isn't something that's going to happen overnight. It sort of feels like the tax reform to me where it's a big issue. It's a misunderstood issue. We kind of went back a couple steps this week on the news and said, this is what an inland port is. This is what it'll do. There's several yes, things doing it. It's working. Perfect. It's not working. Because sometimes I wonder if you were to go even talk to some of these protesters if they understand what the port is. It's well, kind of a new idea here. I, I will tell you, and this is not being, I guess, understood broadly by the public, but there have been multiple board meetings. They've had open houses. Uh, I feel that these public hearings have been weaponized. There have been people that are not interested in the dialogue or asking questions or being heard. They're trying to shut down the work of that board, their ultimate goal is if they can keep them from meeting and keep them from making decisions or voting on actionable items, that they're going to win. Uh, and, and I think that if that's the goal, uh, that is not what a public hearing is meant to be. That is not transparency in government, and it's not the exercise of, of our freedom of speech. So here's an alternative point of view. Yeah. The Inland Port was done as a pretty aggressive power move. I, and, and, and I'm not even, I'm not vilifying that. There have been a lot of powerful moves in formulating the Inland Port, right? That's what the arguments are. That's what the, that's what, who's wrong, who's right. And I do think it's time to, to stop that and start having a more, um, noticed dialogue. I, I, I think it has been going yeah. on. Two big things are happening for me that make me hopeful about a, a, a little restart. Okay. One is that, uh, 
Inland Port Authority just recently hired a full-time executive director. And a very good and, one. And he's got a resume. ton. His Tell resume is. is ridiculous. I want to say his name's Jack Hedge. Yes, okay. and, he's, and he's from and the he's from the long he's from the Long Beach port, and he has like thirty three okay, so years of experience before. specifically on this. So, so one thing that's interesting is we haven't had a full time yeah. person, right? And 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 it's because they've been in startup mode. Yeah. So having they can't a full time have a person to make a vote, <laughs> and and if we can have a full time person for whom this is their expertise, it's a game changer. So one, I want us to all take a breath and and see if he will rise to this leadership because his resume looks like he's he going to. Number he two. Has to be given that opportunity. He, and he, has to, yeah. also, he also has to wield his authority in, in a way that makes the public feel involved. And number two, um, we're going to change the mayor of Salt Lake City. And I think that dynamic is just really locked right now, right? There, there's, yeah. the, we, we saw the top of the fold headline that showed us that there's some locked in dynamics there. And changing uh, who's leading Salt Lake City, those two things, I think, allow for a refresh button on the Inland Port discussion because the Inland Port discussion has a lot of big issues they have to get through and a ton of big opportunities. Yeah, and I think that can probably change yeah. in the next few weeks, don't you think? Because, I mean, the front runners right now, Jim DeBacchus, you may know him from this podcast, and Luce Escamilla, are two of them that are the front runners in that race and are willing to work with the state, which I think is probably something that needs to happen. Everyone else has a little bit different stands on it, but it'll be interesting after we have this primary going forward to see how the conversation shifts and shapes with I, that. I just, but I, but I, I love the dialogue that's going on here. It, it's, it's substantive. It's the way that public policy ought to be pursued. But I have to say this. Um, it's, I don't think people set aside the outliers of violence and say, we're going to put that over here and look at, let's just, let's just take a different issue and a different party. Let's take the Tea Party. If there was ever a Tea Party rally and violence broke out, there would never be anyone that I think would say, well, let's just put that aside and let's look at what the Tea Party's been advocating and what their there had been a narrative, a very aggressive narrative about Tea Party members being racist or being, uh, you know, whatever that was. And anything that would reflect or repeat the narrative or the perception of that movement was emphasized by the, I'm not saying it's right, but I'm saying that it's nice to say in this instance, let's just take the these horrific you know, displays of violence and put them aside and let's look at the issue. I, I do think that there's an attempt to stop it, but we aren't doing that across the board. We're not treating those that protest or those that have concerns. We, we have uh, pejoratives that we use for some people's protesting while we, uh, for the, me, the, it, the great contrast but I'm telling was you what, Occupy Movement was heroic, Tea of Party We was know crazy. the best and you all just need to set aside. I don't think it's no, intended I, I to be served. Yeah. I don't think it's intended to, but I think people are hearing it. And I think if anything, the leaders here are big enough to go high when they go low. Thank you, Michelle Obama. We can do this. You, you cannot set aside the yeah. real issues and the way people are feeling about this process is real and they, is more than they, those protesters. They, I, will, I will not question how they feel, but there has been a, a process and I love the debate and I, that's why I would attend any and all debates about this because I think there's been a long process to get to where we are today. Uh, but I, does the public know it? I don't think so. But you got to have some meetings where there's not violence breaking out to be oh, able to there articulate are. these there things. Are people, Every board people meeting contradicting what people. This. Yes, and Everyone. interruptions are liberty. I'll take any day of the week. So, like, let, let's but if you like, have to come, call the police, oh, and that becomes a story. No one even hears what they're saying anymore. I agree. There's a very small group of protesters yeah. who are almost professionalized. One thing that's interesting I about this. I actually think that's true. One thing about this: if you go ask the yeah. police officers, they will call them by name. They know but them. Yeah. I refuse to set 
that and say there are no issues that we need to address with the inland oh, port no, because I, there's I, a yeah. couple of schmoes. It's I, true. I, I think and we're I actually think saying the same thing, Mara. I want those. Right. Insu- I want those issues addressed. You have to have a. You have to have an environment where that can happen, yeah. and that's the problem I have with what we're seeing. And I think part of the problem. We'll move on to the next topic. But the Sierra Club and a few others who have these real issues. I think where they went wrong, and if I were their PR analyst that was going to go in and suggest to them. I think they wanted to look bigger than their group was that was showing yeah. up. So that's why they put feelers out to a bunch of other groups that protest about other things. And that's how I think it got out of their control because it was people who were just there for a good protest. Because yep. for some people, it is a hobby. And that's where it went terribly this, wrong. This yeah. group did not represent their point of view yeah. very well. And that is that yep. is disappointing. Check your invite list before you do them next time. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll go past this one real quick. But Trump announced just yesterday that he's going to drop the census issue. But he's still going to be going about getting that information through federal offices and wherever else. Is this information we even need, Greg? So, uh, look, I I looked at some old census data from my own family history. Homework, nice. I know. I'm, but <laughs> but I, I thought I had seen in the past questions about citizenship before. Um, but I was interested in that. I wanted to know, did the Hughes family yeah. come from Ireland? Were they born in Ireland or were they born in Pennsylvania? And, and where did that start or when did they come and, and immigrate? So I was I was actually focusing on that immigration status or the and so and it was this was like a 1900 uh census track where i saw three different questions related to citizenship so when i heard that you know that question was going to be asked it it didn't send my hair on fire i didn't think it was an inappropriate question i my memory served that i thought i'd seen citizenship questions asked in you know in in old census uh, tracks but but look I, i think the supreme court spoke i think the ability to i think Attorney General Barr said that he thinks the law's on their side, and given time to adjudicate it, they would ultimately be able to print those uh, census uh, questions with that question included. But to go through the judicial process, it would delay the census itself, so they're not going to have it on and there. It's and a I good, think that's And fine. it's a good thing they're not yeah, going to have it on there, because the way the constitutional... Uh, counting of our citizens really go for resource management, right? It goes for who represents us, but it also goes for transportation dollars, education dollars, and at the end of the day, we need to know as many people. We need to get as much compliance as we can get so that uh, federal and local jurisdictions can have the resources they need to take care of the populations they have. And I think the worry is is how they use that information once they get it. There's been news um, articles coming out in Canada where they're like, I don't understand what your issue is, but Utah's got, not Utah, the United States has different issues right now, but Canada's been asking these questions since 1901, and they really use it to help um, their migrant populations know where funding goes and this and that. And I don't think there's a fear that's going to be used against them here. Right now in our country, there is a concern that that's exactly it would be right. used against you in a court of law. All right. No more talking on that issue. <laughs> I had a next, question. Okay. It'll, well, just take, it'll, take, it'll take too long. Huh? All right. We'll move on to the next issue. Um, this was a quick one. State uh, looked at three-day teleworking, and the pilot was apparently a success. They want to move on. Is this a good use of our tax dollars, Mara, to have people at home? I waste so much time when I'm at home. Does it save our air? Is it good? Okay, so I'm I'm digging this. I'm going to tell you why. Okay. So first and foremost, you will find Greg and I share something in common. Probably the only reason I formed a company is because I can't work by myself at home <laughs> because I am apparently yeah, not focused enough. That is me so too. that's me. What I like about the state's program is. Uh, as long as it follows some guidelines, one that I can opt out because 
I won't give you a full day's work. Yeah. I don't have the. And I like that it was only about 30%. There are other really strong techniques, though. We know you have to have metrics and major, um, measurables. Working at home doesn't mean you're not part of the system anymore. Yeah. And so um, I think it has to be that you co-working becomes a big deal. The other thing is I never want us to move on to the majority because the, the I don't want the compromise of services to be on the taxpayer side, right? I don't want to have yes. to accommodate the flex schedule. Yeah. So my caveats are, I kind of dig the pilot program. I dig a small percentage of for whom it really works. I do think there are environmental and resource yeah. effects that are really positive. I love what it does for working moms. I love what it does for families. But it can't, when when I get nervous is I want to say, this is not going to be everybody. It's not even probably going to be the majority of yeah. people. But so if you can direct it and have those employees be connected, have the taxpayer services not compromised, I'm kind of digging a small group of employees for whom I think it'll actually increase yeah. productivity, flexibility. If I could do news at home in my pajamas, I'd be all over it, but I can't get much accomplished. I'm like, ooh, yeah. squirrel, snacks. Exactly. So I'm going to go run. I'm, I'm probably, if there's a surgical way or a creative, a narrow yeah. way to do it, I, I would... I think rural Utah would benefit greatly from mm. you know the, the commute times. Maybe they can live in, in communities that otherwise they wouldn't be able to. I just again, I, I try to apply public policy to my own, um, uh, you know, experiences. To me, it's like having a treadmill at your house versus going to the gym. I can give you the logical reason why I don't have to drive to the gym. I don't have to pay the membership due. Yeah, I have it right there, and you know what? I don't use it. Right. You know, I my wife drives our you know puts the hang dries clothes on it. Um, my we got like dogs at our house that bark. I couldn't be on the phone and have the dogs barking on it. So I just. I've seen studies that say sometimes it's not as productive as, as people had hoped. I've seen others that say that there is are measurables out there. So I think if you did it narrowly and you found unique services that yeah. could be done that way. I know that we did have a four-day work week for a while. The state did, but this legislature concluded, and I was part of this, that it limited access to, uh, to people to be able to go to the DMV or to go somewhere where they would need uh, state services mm -hmm. to only have it open four days a week versus five. Uh, so we, we changed that and went back to a five-day uh, work schedule. So do it in limited. See if it works. I think that's I, I like thinking of different things and smart Options solutions. Yeah. It just wouldn't work for me. Yeah, <laughs> tough for me too. Okay, this one's a quickie, but last week we were celebrating that Kamala Harris was coming to Utah and we weren't just an ATM. She's not yeah, coming. They we just were tricked. tricked us. We that's a weird story, right? wasn't it? That guy, a little bit of a huckster. I know. So, one, it was a weird story. I, I am, of course, obliged to take it politically. I would like Kamala Harris to see how much money we fake raised here. Right? And <laughs> we, she should consider a little trip on over because I, I, what a rock star if she she fulfilled the fake agreement. Right. So one, I'm doing a shout out, and you know, let's be let's let's be partisan for a second. Swing on by Park City on your way out. It'll be a good trip for you. So one, hats off to Utahns. That was a lot of money. How much to was raise. it? In the I end? want to say it was seventeen thousand. Yeah, it was. And that good. was from individuals. Remember, yeah. on a fake invite. Yeah. So like that's some good stuff right there. And, and two, I do want to give a shout out to the wave of who I don't know these people and I know nothing about them. But you know this female workspace. I'm feeling a little bad that they that they followed this guy and giving him his car seems a little dicey. Yeah. But I will just say, uh, you know, a female workspace. Let let's help him stay in business. Let's do it. <laughs> I know. I like candidates from all parties coming to Utah, and I was excited about the excitement it was building. So deflated by I, that. Look, I think that I I don't like to see candidates only arrive in our state for fundraisers. Uh, closed door. You know, invitation only. Uh, I think that I've heard so much 
positive commentary about Elizabeth Warren's visit to Utah. Sure. Many very people, open, yeah. Many people have told me, oh, I love Elizabeth Warren. I go, well, why? I, I don't understand. I have no comprehension. But they heard her. They were able to hear her story and her personal story right. um, growing up in Oklahoma. Uh, that was, I mean, so there's a, there's a huge advantage to coming in and actually doing that. Bernie Sanders, when he came to Utah in 16, in mm -hmm. March of 2016, at the U, what a turnout. I mean, and I think there was a, uh, that was felt in Utah politics because he arrived. There was a lot of Bernie delegates that yeah. were, found themselves in the... In and the, your commitment to having us be a purple state, I think, would be big. Oh, it's not that, huge. actually. I think, I think the huge. more we know them, the redder we get. <laughs> no, oh, goodness. All right, next issue here. Um, speaking of running for office right now, in the last few minutes, actually, while we've been recording this podcast, Jay McFarland, who is on KSL News Radio, made an announcement. I wanted to hear the announcement. You knew what the announcement was, so tell yes. us what he's up to. So, he, uh, he had made the... Jay has made the rounds in D.C. He's met with the, N, uh, what are they called, the NRCC. And uh, they, he is going to run for uh, the, the fourth congressional district that is currently uh, held by Ben McAdams. It's a, it, look, Ben has to have, uh, Ben McAdams must be the Democrat member of Congress of the most Republican district in this country. It must be close. I mean, right. it's like, I would say it's north of 60% yeah. Republican. And so that's a winnable seat. And in a year where the, and it's an off year, when, when, when 18 was such a, high voter turnout you know for democrats or you saw the the pre the party that wins the presidency that off that midterm election yeah. never bodes well for that party right. in such favorable circumstances ben mcadams won by just 700 votes so a lot of people are staring at that race on the republican including side including mia love believing yeah. that it's winnable and and i was surprised to see mia love's uh name pop up for that seat i think uh she had it it was her seat uh, that's the one person I think has a harder case to make, but um, the but you know what it, it's going to be a crowded field. But yeah. that is the announcement. He's yeah, looking yeah. at that. And it'll be interesting because she said she would run if she didn't feel like there was someone who could win. But I feel like she dropped some large bombs on bridges on her way out, and I don't know if that's possible. Uh, is this fun that we're talking this early about the fourth district and? Good names in there, or I think it's fun for us. Fun I don't us. know if the public it's um, a long reads race. a little bit of yeah. fatigue. And I will say, you know, Ben's doing everything right right now. He's doing mm -hmm. great constituent services. He represents his district. He's doing a great job getting media, uh, which just ups the ante. I think it absolutely, absolutely is a target seat. So I don't. Yep. It's a target seat, but you also have a current representative who's pretty savvy and doing things right, which then makes it a more and more interesting race. Uh, I think there's a likelihood that. If the wrong composition of Republicans get in and the wrong dialogue happens and they form a circle and start now shooting at each other, there's a chance that that doesn't bode well for Utah Republicans. Yeah, yeah. it'll be interesting. And McFarland, I think, um, listening to him on the radio, I don't think he would run a far right race. I, I think it would be a little more centrist. And much like Mia Love did not take Trump's backing, I certainly don't think that he would either. So it might put both Ben McAdams and he and whoever else is running fairly closer to the middle of this race, which will be interesting to watch. He is a really interesting candidate. We should give a shout out to just, I mean, he's he's an unknown and a known, right? So yeah. he, he's going to make that interesting. Yeah. That, that race will be competitive. And I think, um, you know, again, that the Republican primary, uh, you know, what you want to see by November, remember the Republicans and Democrats would have their respective primaries in June, yeah. third mm -hmm. week in June, mm -hmm. where people are on vacations. And on the Republican side, those are registered Republicans, which okay. are, you know, is, is, is not the same as a November election. Yeah. No. And so what you get from that election cycle will not mirror 
the same kind of uh, campaign that you'll see um, in, in November. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think McAdams also has the upper hand in that he's doing things right, as you said. He's fulfilled his promises. He's having uh, town halls. But when you have the other party fighting against each other and ripping each other down and you can just keep doing your job for a while, yeah, it'll be interesting yeah. to see. Okay, I want to hit this real quick before we run out of time, but the ICE raids, there's been a lot of talk of that, that President Trump's saying that there are a million people in our country that have their final deportation orders. He wants to start roundups starting this Sunday, and they will be doing that across the country, but maybe starting in a few states. The governor coming out to say that he does not believe, he's not aware of, that this will be happening in Utah. Are you okay with this happening? It does happen under pre other presidents, maybe to not the same extent, but that this does happen. So I would hope that if time and resources are being spent on enforcing our immigration laws, it's meant to uh, and focused on the most dangerous in our in our communities or in our population. Uh, I think that that is that is the risk we run when we have undocumented entry into this into the into the country. We don't know who we're talking about. I would it would be very very sad to see people who are living hardworking lives doing as the best they can. Uh, maybe even brought here as a child and not under their own will, and they're here. It would it would be, I think, unfortunate to see the, the immigration enforcement bear upon those households if at the same time you have people that have come here and are engaged in the drug trafficking. We know that cartels, Honduran cartels and Mexican cartels, are making a profit, are in multiple states. I would hope that this exercise to enforce our immigration laws would be focused on those that are most dangerous. Those specifically. Although we've heard this week that it, there could be collateral damage in this, which means if you're in that same place, That's that right. you could be taken in. Yeah, because they're there. I'm going to book in this by where I started, which is to say there is no correlation between crime and your documentation status. Sure. And so I agree with Greg. Law enforcement should be spending their time going after criminals. Nothing in that sentence speaks to what you look like or your country of origin. I would like law enforcement to focus on keeping us bad safe, guys. on bad guys. And so I, I fail to believe that when you have sub-segmented that and there is no statistics that show that that segment of the community is committing a crime at a higher level, I think you're, highest, but, you're not highest yeah. and best use of our resources. But let me ask you this question. So they got Capone on tax evasion. Sure. I'm sure it's not the worst thing he ever did. Did not pay his taxes. It's That's what, what he's been but able what they to were able to find. On. They yeah. were able to charge him for that. Is it the case that there is a, a presence of cartels and drug trafficking where their status would be the the one that they could prove eat most easy and be able to go? Do you need to go? Person? Do you need is ICE like, to do that? Like, Could are you telling me that law enforcement does not know who? cartel leadership is because that's not who we're lining up on these ice raids yeah. so i'm saying great i don't, yeah, I don't know, know a whole lot about who the exact are. people are I, let's I go after the capones the of the world yeah, and i don't really even care what their country of origin is i think the second you designate a group of people and profile them racially and there are no statistics to show that there's any degree of increased crime that you're winding up i say let's use i i am for catching bad guys i'm yeah. super for that I, again, I'm just my my analogy, just so that it, yeah, it yeah. wasn't. It, it, I, I thought the IRS, of, you know, tax evasion wasn't the worst thing, but it was something that could be clearly identified. If there are cartels and there is this crime going on, and it their immigration status would be the most uh, would be the the. I Best agree with you. My point is we knew who Al Capone them, was. Then we should and so that. when we look at the new Al Capone, yeah. we don't sweep him at 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 a farm in Iowa. We don't sweep Al Capone there. 
Uh, if if we point. know sure. who Al Capone yep. is, yep. Go get absolutely him. use immigration to put him in jail. So, that, uh, so I agree him. with you. I don't want to sweep a farm. I want to yeah. go after people that are creating carnage and, and harm. And, For sure. And, you know, and I don't even know community. if that's some place that you can track because I know presidents in the past have done it. Um, people refer to President Obama's numbers, which were 400,000, which that's I right. think was the largest. I don't know if you can actually go back and look at those deportations to see if there was a criminal element or what all was involved. So I may have to do some homework yeah, this week I, to I, see who ends up getting caught up in these deportations. That's a good question. The biggest yeah. problem I have with our immigration policy as a whole is that those that attempt to follow the law and try to do what they've been asked to do through visas or extending those visas, I find it to be overly arduous. I find it to be incredibly difficult. And it almost, I mean, if there's a blind eye to illegal immigration or not enough enforcement here, but those that are trying to follow the law, the expense and the scrutiny right. is unbelievable. Yeah, that's right. The inconsistency, inconsistency of that is something I have a hard time that's with. That's right. All right. We are out of time. We have another issue I want to talk about. We're going to save it for next week. So a tease ahead here. Okay. Safe injection sites. It's a new idea here in Utah. It's worked in Canada. We're talking about someone who wants to use drugs, and we give them a safe place in downtown Salt Lake where you can go shoot up. Does mm. it help us get them off the streets and off drugs, or does it just make it an easy way to shoot up? You can think deep thoughts about it this week. We'll talk yeah. about it next week. It's not deep. I already hate it's it. It's not deep. I'm just you giving, already I'm just giving it. a teaser. Uh, Spoiler I will, alert. I will think I deep thoughts it. for both of us. <laughs> okay, you guys. You're thinking, I can't, I can't even get my head around it. It's crazy. And we will hope for just as good a week <laughs> next week in politics, so we have so much to talk about again where we simply run out of time. So thanks so much for for joining us this week. Uh, download, tell your friends about it, and subscribe. We will talk to you again next Friday.